the event we celebrate this day, uh, this day with great solemnity and uh, so much so that the church uh, obliges us to attend Mass, is one that uh, has been long-standing in the church, uh, long-standing in the church's his history, and uh, one, though, that only was formally defined relatively recently. In fact, uh, Bishop Lavore had, uh, was a celebrant for the Mass with the sisters this noon, or this actually this morning, and he pointed out that he was four years old when the doctrine uh, was defined uh, in 1950, and that kind of contextualized everything for me, uh, that uh, some of you who are not older but more mature uh, might remember yourselves when the doctrine, this doctrine was. And of course, I had mass at the apartments, and uh, most of them were uh, of age when uh, this was defined. That doesn't mean that we first started believing in the assumption at that moment in 1950 when Pius XII declared it, but rather that he clarified it. And he, he, there was a debate of going, what is this or is this not? For centuries, there had been a church in Jerusalem called the Church of the Dormition, which is traditionally the site of where uh, Mary uh, passed from this life to the next. Uh, and, well, how is that? But uh, in the, in the uh, Eastern Church, they have this notion of her falling asleep and then being taken to heaven, body, and soul. In the uh, Western Church, there's this understanding that uh, she perhaps experienced death, and uh, then from there was raised, resurrected, body and soul, uh, taken into heaven. Uh, <clears throat> this, this afternoon I uh, came across a quote by St. John Paul II that I hadn't apparently come across before, because if I would have, I would have uh, remembered it, but he said that it's right to believe that the Blessed Mother experienced death, because if she didn't, she would be the only human being to not experience death, uh, that's uh, no longer on this earth. Even her son experienced death. And it would be fitting for her to experience it and then to be the first risen body and soul and trans, uh, <clears throat> translated, transitioned into heaven. I think that's a beautiful uh, thought and it, it, it dignifies Mary in a way that uh, just saying she was taken to heaven, maybe not. But all the same, Pius XII allowed both to stand. In fact, the formal declaration is, having completed the course of her earthly life, Mary was assumed to heaven, body and soul. It's all it says. But uh, according to tradition, and uh, in addition to the Church of Dormition, that happens to be on the southwest uh, side of Jerusalem, outside the city gates. On the northeast side, outside the city gates of uh, St. Stephen's Gate, between St. Stephen's Gate and um, the Church of All Nations, the Church of the Garden of Gethsemane, there is a catacomb, and in that is, according to tradition, the tomb of Mary. She didn't use it long if she was buried there. In fact, <clears throat> another tradition is that St. Thomas was not able to be there in time for the actual passing of the Blessed Mother, but she appeared to him and said, I am going to heaven body and soul. And he went back to the apostles and said, she's, she's being assumed into heaven. And they did not believe her, him. And I find that fitting because, of course, with the resurrection, he was the one who wasn't there. And uh, Jesus appeared to the others. And he said, I will not believe. And, and they had to try to convince him. And it's only when he experienced Christ himself. Now, 
he is the one on the other foot uh, having to convince the apostles. And so according to this tradition, he went, they went to the tomb and discovered it was indeed empty, that the Blessed Mother had indeed been taken to heaven, body and soul. And we might ask, well, why does the church, why is the church so insistent on this? Uh, as Catholics, we're the only, well, Catholics in the Eastern uh, Orthodox churches and, and uh, um, all the Catholic uh, hold this, the Eastern uh, Orthodox churches haven't defined it formally or, or anything like that, but they do uh, uh, express faith in the Dormition. Uh, our Protestant brothers and sisters don't because they don't find it in Scripture, and yet we, while it's not explicitly there in Scripture, we see something important. And if we understand that importance, we might understand why the Church, in her wisdom, gives us this Gospel passage, for example. The Gospel of the Visitation. This is, this is at, towards the beginning of Mary's life. Of course, Jesus has just been conceived maybe a week or two before the events. Uh, why, why would the Church give us this passage to reflect on? Or why, in, in, uh, why would the Church start today's first reading with the Ark of the Covenant was seen in heaven? Or why yesterday we heard of the Ark of the Covenant? It's because Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant that in her is everything fulfilled of the Old Covenant in Jesus Christ. If you take a moment to reconsider the Ark of the, uh, of the Covenant in the Old Testament, there in that Ark they placed the tablets of the commandments, the law. They placed a jar of manna, how God had provided that manna in their uh, pilgrimage through the desert and fed them day after day after day with that manna, and also the, the staff of Aaron, the authority and the power of God displayed through that staff time and again and again. Well, Jesus Christ is the lawgiver. He fulfills the law and gives a new covenant. Jesus Christ is the manna come down from heaven, the true bread come down from heaven. He is the Eucharist. And he's not just a symbol of God's authority, he is God's authority. And from the Ark of the New Covenant, he comes. He comes. And so what is said of the Old Ark of the Covenant can be said of the New Ark of the Covenant and fulfilled in its fullness. If the Ark of the Old Covenant is found in heaven, how much more so the Ark of the New Covenant? If the Ark of the Old Covenant could not be touched in fact, the, there's a story as they were crossing the, the Jordan, uh, the, the ark got a little unstable. One of the priests reached out his hand just to steady the ark and was struck dead. Or another where, uh, for whatever reason, it was captured and it was taken to a pagan town. And there they started to experience terrible boils. And they were afraid of the ark of the covenant for a while. And so they sent it away. And it was in the care of a farmer. And God blessed that farmer. And they realized now is the time to bring it in. And so they brought that Ark of the Covenant in. And if I remember right, it was near Ein Kerem, where uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah were from. They brought the Ark of the Covenant in across the hill country of Judah in haste. And there, as they were bringing it in, they offered sacrifice. And David, the king, danced before the Lord with such joy. Here in this gospel passage, 
We have Mary, the Ark of the Covenant, New Covenant, traveling the hill, hill country in haste, entering the house of Zachariah and Elizabeth, and someone jumps for joy. Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. If the old Ark could not be touched, how much more so the new? If the old Ark is in heaven, how much more the new? And Mary is the first fruits, and we hear that in today's second reading, that Christ first is raised and then everyone else in proper order. How much more fitting than the mother of God, the one who fulfills and listens to the word of God most completely, most fully, most perfectly, that she is taken to heaven, body and soul, and she reminds us of our humanity. See, we live in a world that is very dualist. It's odd at the same, same time. We have, have some that believe only the body matters. We, we do everything we can to, to do the body and, and uh, you know, not to make a political statement, but didn't we see that about three years ago with COVID, how we did anything we could do to avoid that COVID, to protect, to live. And I'm not saying that, that it was wrong or, or right or anything like that, but we, we, we were so focused on the body, we forgot the spiritual nature of our humanity and we ban people from coming to church. But there are some that say, well, only the soul matters. The body is evil. The body is terrible. And, and we, we shall someday let, let go of this earthly, these earthly shackles and we sh- will be free. And, uh, and that's a heresy, too. We are embodied souls and ensouled bodies. We are both body and soul. As human beings, we are both. God has created us with both. And this is unique and special. And yes, we are fallen, thanks to Adam and Eve. Yes, we do sin. Yes, we have this imperfect, uh, uh, where the body and the soul often fight, as St. Paul says, that I which I would do, I cannot do. That I which, which I wish would not do, I do. The body and the soul fight, but that doesn't mean they're opposed. So when we die, we are something less than we ought to be, because body and soul is separated. And when we are raised to new life in the resurrection, we become more perfectly human. This is what Christ's resurrection is all about. That he rises to give new life. He rises to a resurrected body and he rises as the first fruits. And then from him, everyone else receives a risen body. A body that can stand in the presence of God, the Holy Trinity, for the rest of eternity. A body transformed made of stuff that lasts, not stuff that falls apart, not stuff that ends in corruption. The Blessed Mother already enjoys the resurrected body. She's in heaven, worshiping God the Father, praying for us, and reminding us that that is our destiny too, that we are bound for heaven, body and soul, For all those that have gone before us, this is a great day to remember them. Because in the assumption of the Blessed Mother, we have hope for their own resurrection. In the assumption of the Blessed Mother, we have hope as the Church, the Body of Christ, made perfect. She is the Ark of the New Covenant. She is the one who brings us Christ. She is the one holy, majestic, taken to heaven, body and soul, reminding us of our destiny.